This is how I win. How'd that get in there? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I drink your milkshake. What am I going to do with a soul anyways? You show me a pay stuff for $72,000 on it, I quit my job right now and I work for you. Yeah, Jake, it's Chinatown. All right, we're back. Jack of No Trades Nation. Got some more good movie content for y'all. I got my trusted brother, Taylor. What's up, dude? How's life? It's good. Uh, Welcome back. We've missed you on the last two episodes. What's what's going on, man? Do you got the fire back? You ready to start cranking out some content? I'm I'm trying to get the fire, my dude. It's hard when you're working on like two hours of sleep. I thought I was that guy that could just push through any adversity, but I've realized if I'm if I'm not getting the sleep, I don't have the fire. I don't have the passion. So kids starting to sleep a little bit more. I'm coming back. I'm I'm here for you, man. I'm not going to leave you hanging. All right. Okay, man. I don't like hosting. I'm not very good at it. So no, I'm sure you we got need it your unlock. we need your presence. I told I I told Jake this, dude. I'm a I'm a color guy. I'm not a host guy. I provide <laughs> the color. I'm not a number one. I'm a number two. You're like a, a freaking Garth on Wayne's World when yes. Wayne's not there and he just freezes up and starts rambling on. Is that you? I don't believe it, dude. I think you got more juice than that. I pretend to drop my pen just to get out of the conversation. That's right, just to bail. <laughs> Whoops, uh, I dropped my pen. Dude, you're in good hands. We got freaking Jake. What's up, dude? Scary guy Jake. What's going on, man? Well, I, I picked the Bucks to win the NBA Finals in public, so that's how I'm doing right now. <laughs> Honest mistake. Vegas, man. A lot of people lost some money on that. Lots I of just, people lost some money on that. I, I neglected to take into account that Jimmy Butler is, in fact, him. He is him. Jimmy Buckets. Bro, he is my favorite player in the NBA, unabashedly. Love the guy. Couldn't be happier just to see him run amok in the East and kicking ass. Man, what a performance. Jimmy fucking Buckets, dude. Did you see him just dogging Drew Holiday that entire game? Incredible. Saying, you can't guard me. You can't <laughs> guard me. The Just icing him. Unreal. Unreal. I've, I've got a question for you guys. Obviously, Portland didn't have the season that, that you would have hoped. How do you feel if if the team decides to blow it up, trade Dame? How do you feel about Dame potentially landing in Miami, teaming up with Jimmy Butler? Yo, Tay and I have talked about this, not at length, but of several times. I'm great with it. I'm cool with it. I'm ready. Send Dame away. I love the guy. He's given us some incredible moments. I want to see him just flourish somewhere else because it's not going to be in Portland, man. We're never going to get our shit together. It's not happening. He's too expensive for Portland to give him the team he needs. We're kind of in the middle of like this half rebuild, half not. I mean, if we get Wembenyama in the draft, yeah, we get Wemby. This all changes, but if we don't, I'm cool with it. But let's Let be him. real: if we get Wemby, his knees are going to be made of glass. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's Greg not going to work. The second that Roy. the second that Oregon air hits his yeah. lower body. <laughs> He's just going to fucking disintegrate. <laughs> just like a tree in the woods, dude. He's coming down, and all our hopes and dreams are going to go with him. Yeah, dude. It's Liz, over. Liz Frank injury in both legs. I don't even know what that is, but apparently it sidelines you forever. We haven't, uh, we haven't talked about this. Brandon Roy, you know, 
phenomenal player. He came on the scene. I was like, I've got my new favorite player. This guy is somebody that Kobe Bryant is literally talking up, which Kobe didn't talk up anybody. We have our franchise star for the next decade at least. And the dude was made of glass too. Just done. He was done. He had no chance. That's just Portland. We have nothing. We're never going to have it. We just don't – we don't have the luck. We passed on Jordan. We picked Gray to Odin over KD. Dame is wasted on a team that will never play defense. It's just not in our cards, man. I think the Jazz win one before we do. Not going to lie. I mean, I I hope you guys – get Wemby. I wish Wemby upon you. <laughs> and and I wish Dame upon Jimmy Butler because I feel like Butler has existed his entire career in search of a player with the Dame mentality. And I mm. I, I I would love that. that but what pairing. if it's too much alpha in the Miami locker room, you know? Dame and Jimmy going at it? Yeah, what if it's too much alpha? Does Dame go at it with anyone? He seems like a fairly uh Yeah, I think he's a good congenial chemistry guy. Fellow. Yeah. yeah. True, he, but he's like, paying he just... for the trips. Like he's taking the teammates on cruises. <laughs> he's chilling, dude. I think I think he could get with Jimmy. I think Damon Embiid is actually the fit I'd like more. I I think the two way game between them could be incredible. Just a dominant big man, and then the scoring from Dame to be insane. I just fucking hate Philly sports so much. I That's fine. I just like Embiid as a guy. You know, yeah. give him a shot. Uh, any other hot NBA takes, guys, for my NBA crew right here? I was going to apologize. Any retractions? Yeah, I think I, you probably have a few takebacks at this point. I was going to give a formal apology to Trey Young for calling him one of the biggest losers of the year. You know, you know, showing some fight in this Boston series, but when you go one for 12 in the second half of this game six against Boston, I don't know if I need to, man. <sighs> in some atrocious defense down the down the stretch there so i'm not going to be issuing an apology to trey the the apology i'd like to issue is just a reiteration of the knicks apology i i had the knicks as one of the bottom three teams preseason in the east ah and uh and obviously they were the the fifth seed and, and made the playoffs but i don't think anyone really saw that coming what they did to cleveland i mean they just they worked them yeah and uh I mean, Donovan Mitchell went from a team with one offensively limited big man to a team with two, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Plot twist. Surprising. But yeah, that happened. Dang. All right. Any other uh, hot sports takes? Jake, your pats. Are you cool with the draft? I've got a quick sports take as well, but I want you go first, and then I'll I'll get mine out of my Yeah, uh, tonight's the NFL draft. The Patriots traded back, uh, which is a tradition as old as dumping tea in the harbor uh, up in Boston. It's trading back for draft picks, and uh, it seems like we still got our guy. So in Bill Belichick, we trust, trust, I guess. Would you take like a guard or something? Who would you pick? He is a cornerback out of Oregon. Oh, all right. Corners. You need those corners. All right. Um, Niners are not drafting today, uh, which is whatever. I just got to say, man, everyone's talking about trade and Trey. So he's a, he's a waste. He was a bust. The kid does not have enough game tape to make that decision. And our quarterbacks are always hurt. Give the guy another season. Purdy's coming back after Tommy John surgery. Look, I love the Purdy wave we got last year. It was phenomenal. I had a great time. Mr. Irrelevant. You know, 
I feel bad he had the injury he did. He's not going to be able to throw the ball, and he could barely throw the ball last year. Like, he just doesn't have the arm for it. Let's give Trey a shot, man. Let's not dump him yet. I'm telling you, Sam Darnold's not the solution. I think it's stupid that all this talk that he's already a waste and he's a bust. I think that's stupid to say about a kid that's barely played. Let him go one more year. If it doesn't work out, send him away, whatever. I just think it's too early to sit, to do that. So that's Who's that four-string quarterback that when Purdy got hurt, you brought him in and he got concussed like 10 seconds later? Josh Johnson, who is a 14-year <laughs> quarterback, I think, in the league. He's been, Or he's at least been on 15 teams in some capacity. It's incredible. Yeah, so Niners need quarterbacks, man. We shouldn't be talking about getting rid of them. We need everyone we can get. So I hope we're not stupid and, and dump Trey early because I think he's shown some flashes. Yeah, he's not maybe Mahomes or burrow but he could maybe be something so that's my thing i just wanted to get that out in public all right well we're not here to talk sports today even though we just talked sports today we're here to talk about movies and there's been a bunch of movies that have come out recently and we're we're a group that likes to watch those movies tay jake you guys have been in the movies recently seen a couple i'm going to clear out some space for you to talk about some of these movies that actually i don't think i've seen first one evil dead rise Yes. Is that uh, the is that the title? Fifth know, Tay, installment in the Evil yeah, Dead franchise? Is that number right? Number five. And Tay, I know See, you had some of... thoughts on this. I've been curious <laughs> yeah. to talk to you about this for days. Yes. So I have never seen an Evil Dead movie. It always it didn't seem like my thing. It seemed a little little emo, little hot topic ish for me. <laughs> and and I it was just kind of a horror franchise I never really fucked with. Uh, I was at brunch with my lady friend's friends, and they wanted to go see Evil Dead. And I was like, all right, whatever. So we go. And when we walk out, they go, that was terrible. <laughs> that was so bad. And for me, I thought that was some of the most deplorable, gross, kind of vile <laughs> media I'd seen and paid for it to watch like in a very long time. I was not prepared for what I watched. And I thought the evil dead movies were supposed to be kind of silly, kind of fun. I didn't realize they were just torture porn gore fest where it's like, let's just mutilate people in the most like vicious way possible. And so I had the wrong expectations and I was pretty disappointed coming out of the movie, but Jay, what what do you think, man? You saw it too. Yeah, so the Evil Dead franchise has really undergone, I mean, maybe the most dramatic shift of any movie franchise ever. The first three movies, especially movies two and three, very low-budget, campy, almost action-comedy horrors. And they do tone up the you know buckets of, of blood and gore and puke and bodily fluids, but it's it's all done in very almost tongue-in-cheek, just kind of like to delight the audience. And then they take this big break from 1991 to 2013 and then come out with Evil Dead 4, which they just called Evil Dead. And that movie is deadly fucking serious. And there's more carnage in it than anywhere on Earth, except for the 49ers quarterback room. And so, damn. <laughs> damn. <laughs> and so it just it took really that stray, like, bro. Ouch. Yeah. Okay, keep going. <laughs> it just, I mean... I, like I said, a franchise has never shifted that that radically, and so I knew that with this movie, we were going to get something very, uh, 
very intense, very extreme, something that kind of pushes the limits of what people are comfortable with with watching in a movie. I personally found this one to be lighter um, on all of that relevant content than the 2013 Evil Dead film. And uh, this one, almost a little bit more lighthearted in, in some ways. Some of the things that the mom was saying elicited some, some laughs yeah, out of me. there's certainly. some funny one-liners. That's true. I'm just hearing that Taylor's a pussy. Is that all I'm hearing? <laughs> That's all I'm hearing. Is that Taylor couldn't hack it. No, I didn't you're like kind look of away or like grossed yeah, out. Yeah, you sounded like you're kind of, oh, yuck. <laughs> Ew, I don't want to see that. Dude, have you seen the Saw movies? No, I'm yeah. I'm worse than you at this shit, dude. I I'm don't just, watch I'm those. Saying, dude, I don't like any of them. I, I used to work at a the local Megaplex or Cineplex back in the day um, when I was a high school lad. And I remember walking into, I think it was Saw 3D. And there's a scene with like a bear trap where this bear trap closes on this dude's leg in like the grossest way possible. And I'm like, who is this for? It's not scary. It's not like... It's like it's literally just I want to see people get mutilated and then I get off on it. Like that's what that type of that's what Evil Dead felt like to me. That's just not my jam. So I I think there's a, a very clear difference between the Saw franchise and the Evil Dead franchise, which is Evil Dead, most of the mutilation is happening to bodies that are already dead. Like I, I view it as once a person, <laughs> once a person so gets possessed, so excessive. Okay. Well, there's, I mean, it's look, once a body is dead and once the person is possessed by a demon, it, it's kind of like what happens to that game. body. That's some just, Frank Reynolds shit. It doesn't have I don't as much effect. Dead. Toss me in the trash. Fill me Listen, up with cream. The most I don't give a shit. I'm dead. You're so really perving right scene, now. The most disturbing scene I've ever seen in a movie is Saw 2. And it's when that girl gets thrown into the pit full of like hypodermic needles, and she's got to like oh. dig through it for a key. Have do you have you seen that? <laughs> no. Are you familiar no. with that? It's no. it's deranged. And what makes it so deranged is obviously it's not that gory because it's just needles. The problem is like her screaming, and you can feel the pain, and you're like experiencing it with her, and you're like, I can't imagine anything worse. With the evil, you're dead, like, I'm gonna come. <laughs> With the evil, <laughs> with the evil dead, I'm really trying to stay on the train tracks here. <laughs> with the evil dead, once the demon has taken over and there's no like human being left, I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. Like I don't, I, my empathy goes away. Mm. If that makes sense. All right. What do you What do you think of the scene with the cheese grater? I thought that could have been way worse. What if she just used the other face of the cheese grater that could have like cut her leg to ribbons? That's what I was expecting when it was just when it was just like the 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 thin like you know get your finely grated parmesan side of the cheese grater. I was like, oh, thank God she got off easy. Wait, that's the, fun- the better side. I think the finely grated is worse. They is showed it- us just little scrapes, like scratches. Oh, okay, okay. I okay. yeah, I'm just. It was the side that scrapes now. you. It was the side that scrapes you, not the side that would like literally just carve hack, scoop. Hack yes. out. Uh, It'd be like ribbon fries at a carnival. Um, <laughs> but dude, the second I saw the cheese grater on scene, I was like, oh fuck! Like for some reason, the cheese grater got me more than like everything else. It just in terms because it's something you use. You know what I mean? Like yes, you yes. you constantly pictured just grating the cheese a little too far and catching your fingertips and just not being able to grip shit for the next month. 
My buddy tipped me off to the cheese grater scene, like that it was coming before I watched it. And so I saw it like in the background. I was like, oh gosh, here we go. But the funniest scene for me is when the chick bites the eyeball out of the dude and it spits it into like the other dude's mouth. I thought that was (laughs) hilarious, dude. I laughed out loud at that part. That was funny. I think my part was like, I feel like the plot was just lacking. I didn't feel like there was really any like, like the whole book of the dead, like solving the mystery. That's kind of out the door. It's basically, I got to kill my way out. And I guess it just didn't really do it for me. That's the whole franchise. The setup, bro. Roll with it. It's like Fast and Furious. <laughs> Family. Yeah. You like those. True. Fast Ten's gonna be immaculate. We're not I'm... talking about that today. All right. Any other thoughts on Evil Evil Dead? That's I all just... I had. I thought it was a good time. I don't know. I, I had a way better time in a movie like Barbarian or Scream Six, but you know. I think it's just not my cup of tea. So Maybe I got to give the originals a try. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of want to. F- I kind of want to dig into this like gore, like horror porn genre, right? <laughs> of just mutilating shit and why people are into it and like what th- what that crowd's all about. Because I remember Taylor. I also worked in a movie theater, and I think it was a Saw movie when I was working there as well. And some dude showed up at 11 a.m. You know, just like <laughs> regular dude looked like he worked like probably as a computer engineer or something or a Best Buy. You know, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, yeah, just dude. a plain looking dude and just one for saw, please. I'm just like, dude, <laughs> that guy's into some shit. I don't know what he's into, but he's into some shit. Probably brought here. a lot of lotion, too. Yeah, dude, he was. Yeah, he, he goes to the, the showing. He knows he's going to be alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's like, anybody else in this theater with me? Like, nope, all yours, buddy. We'll wipe it down after you're done. We um, also know that Jake has no qualms with anything you do to a corpse. Yes, so. right. <laughs> We're all learning things over there, I guess. Yes. It's, uh, um, speaking of corpses, can I transition, Taylor, or do you have more? Yes, go for it. John Wick 4. Yes. Did you see it, Jake? <laughs> I still need to see John Wick 3. What the oh, hell, okay. dude? Okay, that's fine. We we don't shame on this podcast. We don't. It's okay. Watch everything. I'll take a bit of shame for it because I truly did like the first two a lot. Um, and yeah, just never got around to three. I've heard that four is incredible, but also three hours long. So, it is a it is a epic proportion of John Wick. I thought about it. I think it's my favorite one. I think four ends up being my favorite. I mean, it all is kind of bleeds together. But as far as set pieces go, I think it. I think it takes it to the top level. Taylor? I I got to agree. I think, oh, man. I think two and four are probably my favorite. I'm with you. I love two. Uh, there's some incredible setups in two. One feels so different. It is. It's a completely every, different. Yeah, completely. It feels like a more, like, like, I guess, like, standard, normal movie. I guess more of a typical I mean, because the two through four just go straight action sequences, I feel like, in a way that the first one couldn't do. And, but the whole franchise incredible. has been an yes and, and they just yes. build on the story, which I can respect to an extent that they didn't like paint themselves into a corner. They're just like, yeah, what if there's this? And yeah, what if there's this? And you kind of just got to go with it. The The top down action sequence in that apartment building in yeah. Paris is one of the coolest action scenes I've ever seen in any movie let like any form of media honestly it feels like you're watching a video game 
at that it does. point. It's incredible. It you see something like that and you wonder why it's never been done before, but it's so impressive in the way they executed it. Just phenomenal. Very, very memorable. Um, and we don't want to get into spoilers with anything. I think the uh, – who's the one guy, the blind guy? What's his name, Taylor? Hit me. Oh, shoot. The the king. Yeah. They I, think add... king. I think his name's King. Oh, oh no, sorry. You're talking about Kane. The... Kane. Sorry. You're Kane's about... his character's name. I think you're talking forget... about Lawrence Fishburne. I think no, he's, blind he's always too. he's always he's not blind in this franchise, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kane, okay. the who they added, I'm forgetting the actor's name. Phenomenal ad. He adds so much like fun and intrigue into the every scene he's in. So that's a real treat to have him kind of going alongside John in a lot of these set pieces there's like no dialogue from john wick in this movie which shouldn't surprise anyone but it's, it's uh, like donnie yen that's his name. donnie yen donnie shout is out to donnie yen yeah. very good i hope it's the last one i like yeah. i hope they go out on on a high note so let's let's hope rumor i heard is that ana de armas is going to be in essentially like a sister sequel i think it's john confirmed wick. it's a spinoff i think it's called ballerina yeah I don't I don't buy it with her. Well, I heard she's hot. The, she's awesome, but I don't think I don't see her doing what John does. I heard the new Apple movie she just did is terrible. So Ghosted with Chris yes. Evans. I hear it's an abomination. It's it's not good. So I guess she Did you see the clip going story. around Twitter where they're like, I don't think Chris Evans and Anna de Armas were on set at the same time. <laughs> the way it's edited, it just it always looks like it could be a stand in, mm-hmm. not the actual actress or actor in the scene uh rom-coms man why are they broken it would almost make sense because they had good chemistry together in uh knives out knives out yeah like those scenes uh you know where they're they're kind of long extended dialogue i liked watching both of them i thought they did well together and and so to hear that it was that horrible in this new movie i think maybe that that indicates there was some chicanery afoot (laughs) could be didn't look good tay any other ones before we get into see. our main course. Let's see. I had a lot of fun with. Uh, I thought Scream Six was pretty fun. Oh, um, yeah. I liked Air. I don't know if you guys saw that yet. Haven't gotten to Air. Scream Six was actually this. Some horror fans will consider this blasphemous. My favorite of the uh, of the whole franchise. Hmm. There's some good sequences in Scream Six. And so so um, and then I mean we saw we saw Super Mario together. With yes, your, sir. With your boy, it seemed to, it was a good time. It was everything I hoped for out of a Super Mario movie. You know, can't complain. Made me want to go play Mario. You know, I thought it did its job. I was very confused at the critical criticism of the movie. Like, yeah, this movie doesn't have a story. I'm like, have you played? Characters. Have you played a Mario game? The games don't have a story. He doesn't you just talk. jump on bricks. <laughs> you save the the princess that's the that's the game so the fact the movie isn't some i don't know citizen kane i was like what why are we surprised i thought it was perfectly good perfectly fine for what it was trying to do nintendo is like the player is the main character in our games so we don't make these avatars very complex like as far as characters because they get to imprint that their character onto the the avatar so I've got I, mean, a, I don't know what people expected. Go ahead, Jake. I've got a bit of a gaming hot take for you. There has never been a bigger dopamine rush in a video game than the the Switch palaces in uh, Super Mario World, like the Yellow Switch Palace and the. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Where you just 
go into the room and just rack up as many coins as you possibly oh, can. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yeah. <laughs> those those rooms kicked ass. <laughs> It's just a little kid casino, just like this. Just going. I love a kid casino. Oh yeah, dude. Hey, how pumped are we for Tears of the Kingdom? We're just talking the gambit here. I mean, we're all Zelda boys here. We all hyped. I'm in. One hundred percent. I've never been more hyped for a video game in my life. Breath of the Wild is an undisputed masterpiece. It got me through the whole COVID quarantine thing. I can't wait. Wow, what a pickup for COVID, dude. Well played. You had that just waiting to get into during that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Smart. <laughs> Literally the first video game I played since like Madden 06, too. I bought a Switch for that purpose. Dang. <laughs> I'm worried I'm not going to be creative enough for what Tears of the Kingdom is going to let me do. I'm already going to feel stupid because they're making machines and boats and rockets and shit. It's going to be off the charts. It's true. It seems a little intimidating. Yeah, I'm going to have to get out the creativity. Uh yeah, Tears of the Kingdom's gonna be great. Is there another video game movie you want to see, Taylor? Now that we've got a Mario movie out that just crushed it at the box office, we've got Last of Us that's gonna definitely win some Emmys for what it just did on HBO. Anything uh, else you want to see adapted? I think Amazon is making a God of War TV show. That should track. So we'll with a good script like that. That should work. Uh yeah, I'm skeptical, but I'll probably check that out. Because it's Amazon or because of the source content? Um, probably both. I'm a pretty big God of War fan, so we'll see. I'll probably wait for the buzz if people are saying it sucks. I'll, I mean, I kind of punted on Rings of Power for that reason. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see. I, video game adaptations are really hard. I think there's certain games that just don't translate well. And I think something like Last of Us, which you guys both watched, I believe. Yeah. Yes, sir. Is like the perfect video game to turn into a movie cause, or like a TV show because it already feels like a movie. God of War is the same, though. Yeah. The newer ones. Definitely not. Yeah, the sure. Not original. the. Yeah. Yeah. The OG hack and slash ones. Yeah. The, the yeah. most recent remakes. Yeah. But yeah. But I mean, we'll definitely see this more. I think there's way more opportunity. I'm sure Nintendo's going to start making sequels and adaptations of their other properties i mean would you guys watch a zelda tv show i don't know that there's enough to do the story is so (laughs) basic every time and it's like you can only show so many dungeons in the context of a tv show before it gets like oh my god (laughs) the problem is Link, link has no defining trait other than he's just a vehicle for an adventure right link the link the twink yeah, like what? What? Like what does he become? Is he a wise what guy? This, what does his voice sound like? What's his voice? What's he look like? Is he an elf queen king? Like I don't know. Like doesn't sound like it would work. But yeah, well, that you, wouldn't be the first place I'd go. You know what I think would make a great uh, TV series, and it's something I've been saying when it was made into a movie franchise. I've been on this train for so many years. They have announced that HBO is doing a full 10 year long harry potter series oh yeah true any any thoughts on that i i can't turn the nostalgia off for the the movies man it's gonna be weird for me to see different actors portraying the characters like that i already associate with other actors that's gonna be really hard for me to turn turn off i think it's great for the younger generation that kind of missed those movies that were being made as we were growing up but, I mean, 
Do I think it's not a bad idea. Do we have confirmation that it is the Harry Potter books that yes. it's going to be based One off of? One book per season. Something like that, yeah. The concept I actually think is great. There's plenty of story to hash out in a season. It's like there's a lot that can be hashed out in a season. It's that trickiness with the casting, right? Because the, the, the magic of the original series, the films, was just the same cast through it all. and We grew up with them. Right. Are they going to be able to capture that with the way TV production cycles are? Doesn't seem possible, but maybe. I don't know. Well, technically, it might be easier than a movie. Because production cycles in TV are much faster than movies. Depending on how they, how robust they are, right? Yeah. Depending on what they're doing. So I guess it depends. I mean, if they if they have it all pre-funded, they're already greenlit for the full seven or whatever they're going to do, maybe they could pull it off. But it's like, what if that first season is terrible? <laughs> <And> it's like, <laughs> doesn't have the chemistry, doesn't have the juice that keeps people into it, and they have all this committed money to it. Could be a disaster. Dude, I'm just waiting for them running out of content. So they have to do 40 minutes on Mr. Dursley's flashback episode. <laughs> <laughs> just 20 minutes of selling drills yes oh, you, know, you know when a tv show runs out of content we get a flashback episode uh, to like some character's origin you don't care about you're like kill me do you remember uh, those one-off 11 episodes from stranger things yes I, I almost never watched another episode when they went like center to chicago to meet up with some other super teens i was like fuck this shit this is so boring what are you doing and they they learned their lesson they haven't done that since but it's, it's my favorite thing with the death of network television is that they make the story as long as it needs to be and don't have unneeded episodes yeah it's my favorite change honestly yeah i'll watch though I'll I'll give the first three episodes a watch on the Harry Potter show though. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it because I think I'm with you, Tay. I've, I've got a lot of nostalgia for the movies, but I do think they're very flawed, and I think a lot of their Super. flaws comes from the fact that like they're trying to adapt these in some cases seven eight hundred page books into two hour films, and so it's the the, the narrative is going to be really choppy. And obviously, the cast is great. You got Alan Rickman and Maggie Smith and and all those people doing their thing. I don't think it's going to be difficult to improve on the casting of that second Dumbledore. And and <laughs> to be honest, I don't know that there's anything overly special about any of the the main child actors that Agreed. they got. I mean, I had a huge crush on Emma Watson growing up, and so I think that kind of that that had some blinders on for me, but like looking back, I'm I guess they're they're good actors. They don't totally look like I imagined. They don't always act like I imagined. And I'm sure that they're going to find some 10-year-old British kids who are just probably going to be just as good. Do you think they're going to look at the heights of Harry Potter's parents, though, whoever they cast? Like Daniel Radcliffe topped yeah. out at 5'7". I don't think they expected that. <laughs> I don't Our even short think he's that. Day. He's barely he's, that, if that. Really short, yeah. I feel like Harry Potter needed to be taller because at the end you're just kind of like, who's listening to this kid? Well, there's lots know. of comments in the books about how tall he got. Instead. Yeah, like he grew. like. It's kind of like you painted into a corner with that. You can't, can't do anything about it. Dan Radcliffe's a good actor, I think. I don't actually think he's very good in the movies, but he's gone on to be a, a good actor, I think. I know we're going on a million sidebars, but just real quick. Did you ever see Imperium with Daniel Radcliffe? Where he Is plays that the in, racist one? White yeah, supremacy one? He plays an FBI agent who infiltrates a gang of neo-Nazis. It is wild. I saw a clip of it with him dropping the N-word. I know what clip you saw. <laughs> So, uh, is it a good movie overall? I really liked it. Yeah. All right, I'll check it out. 
All right. Anything else, guys? We've got a half hour already. <laughs> We're scared of talking about this movie. I know we are. We're procrastinating. We're procrastinating. We're putting it off. I'm. We're getting into it. All right. No, let's let's just talk what's on the horizon real quick. Then we'll wow, dude, well. you actually do have anxiety about talking about this movie. I do. All right, go ahead. All right, what else? How, how what are we else? feeling? How are we feeling about Guardians? Any interest at all? Guardians no. You bringing us to Marvel talk? Are you kidding real me? Real quick. I'm just curious what your take is on that this. This is why it's you're not. Movie. It's one of the biggest movies of the year. I'm just curious. Any interest at all? Are you? I'd rather talk about the first month of the baseball season, which is. I know. And I, don't I was going to say draft talk. All right. So not interested at all. This is a movie I'm going to ask my wife if she wants to see it. And if she wants to see it, I'm going to make an effort to see it with her. If she doesn't, I'm not going to go see it. I'll wait till it's on Disney Plus. That's my take. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Fine. It's James Gunn. I think it's probably going to be fine. I thought Guardians 2 sucked. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring and it was a convoluted plot. Here's all right. I'm, you got me going, Taylor. Thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> when you have a first movie where it's all about getting a squad together that has chemistry and you like them together, like that was the whole first movie, right? Getting all these misfits together, and it's like, oh, now we have the Guardians of the Galaxy movie ends. And then you start the second movie, and you're like, let's split these guys up and we'll have them have their own side plots. That fucking sucks. I want to see them hanging out. I don't have any other content of them doing stuff together as the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's the that's what they did with that movie. And I'm worried they're probably going to do something similar with this one. Maybe not. Maybe they all get to hang out for one last romp because they all have said publicly they don't want to do these movies anymore. Like the actors don't want to do them anymore. So maybe this one will be fun. It'll be a good way to like, you know, end the, end the franchise or whatever they've got going here. Uh, but yeah, I I don't really have any expectation of any of these Marvel movies anymore. I, I don't care about one bit of them. It's over. It, with Endgame, it was over for me, honestly. All right. I just didn't want to alienate some of our listener base that may like these no, no response for what i just said you got anything no. else to add no i you brought I it think, up i think guardians is probably like the best marvel franchise and it's the one that i'm only like mildly interested in better than point. spider-man but the, i guess that's those aren't technically made by marvel so i don't count them. oh cop out okay go ahead they're made, they're made by sony you know sure but you know they're marvel properties yeah, but it's kind of different. It's kind of its own thing. Okay. All right. All right. So, I mean, I'm mildly interested. I'll, I'll probably go see it. I mean, Movie Pass has come back. So, I've been seeing way more shit than I used to. Uh, I think it's a good value again. Not at, not sponsored, but just putting in a plug. Um, just real quick. I'm real. <laughs> I, I, this is comical. I, I have seen this trailer for the new Flash movie. And I see all these Batman in it, and there's a part where I'm like, "Is that Christian Bale Batman in this movie?" I wonder. You guys think it's Bat? I think it's Batflick. It's Batflick, but he's on a similar motorcycle. On the motorcycle that Christian Bale had, it looks just like it. But it has a huge shield thing on the front of it now. Okay. Okay. So it's like the the Batflick one. Yeah. Because I was, I'm like, is this every Batman that's ever been in this movie? I was like, what the fuck? Like I was just like, could you imagine if Christian Bale did that? (laughs) I can't imagine him doing that. They'd have to throw so much money at him to to put it back on. I have to think that this movie has to be at least decent for Warner Brothers to risk it with Ezra Miller, who has been a disaster the past several years. Of a human. Yeah. Of a human being. That they're like, fuck it. Let's let's release it. This movie slaps. Like that's the only explanation. Can you imagine if Christian Bale comes back to do Batman in like Shazam 4? 
I would I would end myself. I would I would jump off some building, dude. I'd be like Maroney, dude, getting pushed off the top of that one building in Dark Knight. That'd be me, dude. I'd be so sad. Just tarnish the legacy. Shazam 4, get out. Oh my gosh. All right. I've got can, I my- hot, can I get my hot take in now? I think Ezra Miller is a very charismatic actor. I think he he's great. I love seeing him on screen. But he's crazy, but maybe that makes that's what makes him so charismatic. Yeah. Perks of being a wallflower. He had a he had a fun vibe. Everything he, he said in that movie was making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's good. I loved him in the Justice League stuff. I know some people didn't like him. I I liked him. I like him as the Flash. So doesn't Guys, really I, shock me. I'm I'm gonna save us here. I have the best segue. Anyone uh, who it. is anyone who is still listening after this incredibly long and meandering <laughs> intro might like a certain long and meandering movie that we have <laughs> gathered here to talk about today. <laughs> Beautiful. Bo is afraid, and I'm afraid of where this pod is gonna go from here. Let's let's get the no spoiler talk out of the way at the top. Um, Jake, what what were your expectations going into this movie? Did you had you been in the trailers? Had you looked into kind of where this was headed? What what was your initial like knowledge of the film before you saw it? I mean, I've got a very high opinion of Ari Aster. I think Hereditary and Midsummer are actually masterpieces of modern horror. I think they're two of the best horror films to come out in in the 21st century. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of hype surrounding a third project, especially when you find out it's it's got a bigger budget. It's got Joaquin Phoenix. And then they're like, um, it's a three-hour surrealist odyssey with, like, the strangest actor of our generation. And so... I don't know what my expectations were. I think I expected to be totally bewildered. And uh, in that way, the film definitely met my my expectations. I can't say I expected anything I saw. Um, I didn't really get too into the trailers or the, you know, the behind the scenes talk before the movie. And so I just I went in more or less blind and I, I had a good time. I've got to admit, like, I did not expect to enjoy the movie as much as I did. I also enjoyed the movie. I actually found it very entertaining, despite some of the things we'll get into. Taylor, did you have a similar expectation going into this one? I didn't have any expectation. I think I saw the trailer like once, maybe a year ago, six months ago, whenever that dropped, vaguely. I didn't really remember. I was just like, I saw the animated little section they threw in in the trailer like in the animated sequence, I was like, okay, this is going to be weird. But I liked Hereditary. I liked Midsommar. I knew that both those movies were weird. But I find this movie impossible to talk about with people that haven't seen it. When they're asking me, like... Yeah, I've had a few people ask me as well. Like, like what's what was it, it like? What's it about? And I'm yeah. like, it's about a guy with anxiety. And they're like, okay, that sounds weird. <laughs> and, uh, and also, they're like, is it good? Did you like it? And I'm like, I don't know if I liked it, but I'm glad I saw it. Like, it's a weird feeling. It wasn't like, man, that was an awesome movie. I'm going to go right back and see that again. It's like when I was like, I don't know if I'll ever watch that again, but I'm glad I had this experience. It was, that's how I felt walking out of the theater. Did you guys feel it was more comedy or more horror? Because I've seen it described as a comedy horror, and I was wondering what where you guys fell on that continuum. For myself, I thought it was a comedy. 
I thought everything about it was set up in a way that this is a this is a joke. And you could watch it from a horror lens, I think. Like a certain viewer would be like, this is fucked up. <laughs> like this is uncomfortable. This is somewhat scary. I actually thought everything was set up as a joke. Like it was like kind of tongue in cheek in a lot of ways. Did you have a similar reaction? I Yeah, I did. I and you were I me and Taylor, we saw it together. You were laughing yeah. your ass off. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I mean I definitely some horror elements in parts. I felt like the the first kind of episode or chapter was probably the most horror esque. I felt in the way it was kind of filmed and kind of the structured. But yeah, I'd definitely say more comedy than horror. I didn't think it was scary per se. Like I'm not going to have nightmares at night thinking about that movie. There's some dark, it has a dark tone looming over it at all times. And I think the way it's shot could be interpreted as somewhat of a horror genre, the way it tracks certain shots and the way things kind of happen. But yeah, it, it, it's like you, he wants you to take this movie very serious, but it feels like a very unserious movie. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you look at all the, the things that are happening. One, one thing I would, if you haven't seen this movie, as you go to watch it, pay attention to what's going on in the background. There, the graffiti on the walls and the, the different flyers on the walls. There's just some, the most ludicrous shit. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's intended to, every time I laughed in this movie, it was really just a laugh that kind of escaped me. It was like a, what the fuck laugh. Yeah. I, yeah. It's exasperation. I'm like, what, like, what was that? Like, it just sneaks up on you in a lot of ways. And, and it's a great point. Cause there's so much going on and all the set pieces and they have these tracking shots where Joaquin's going through a scene and there's all this stuff going on in the background. And I was just furiously trying to like pick up all the pieces. Cause there's so much, it's like such a densely crafted movie, like that opening scene where he goes and buys the little porcelain uh, figure. And you're like, oh, there's a kid with an assault rifle. And, oh, there's like all this crazy shit going on. You're like, what is happening? Like, where, where am I? Like, you have no idea what's going on at all times. It's, it's pretty fun from that perspective. And it's like impossible mm-hmm. to know. Is this just how he's interpreting the world and experiencing it? Or is this actually how his world is? And the line is indistinguishable throughout the entire movie. And it just gets even more and more indistinguishable as the movie goes on. And I think that's a driving question for people that watch the movie and it's art. So it's like, there's probably not going to be given an answer in that realm, but you are wondering it the whole time before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the movie for people that maybe are casual or not into what would be considered like more indie movies or non mainstream type movies. Is there any coaching you would want to give that person before they go into this movie that would help them like, enjoy the movie more or make the movie something that they could maybe consume and not be completely like, what did you just make me watch? I was trying to think of what I would tell somebody in that situation. There was a time. So hereditary came out back in 2018 and I wasn't, this is the douchiest thing I'll say on this podcast. I promise. I I think when I saw it, I wasn't as like sophisticated a, a movie watcher. I was very like, you know, does it have a straightforward linear plot? am i is everything that's happening within the the realms of my expectations that that sort of thing and so hereditary went some some really weird places near the end that actually put me off the film and i didn't like it when i came out of the theater the first time and it's only been over the years that i've really come to to love and appreciate that movie and um 
what's the fucking movie called? Bo is Afraid. I was about to say Midsummer. Bo is Afraid is like Hereditary on steroids in that it's constantly undercutting every single one of your expectations, not just for where the plot is going to go, but for just how the world works. How, you know, everything we're seeing is, it's almost like the the nightmares of someone with anxiety brought to life. And And so there's a lot of things happening in the movie that I think you're like, well, that doesn't track with everything I know about the world. And if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with very long movies or with very artsy movies or with movies that might be intending to say something other than what's explicitly being portrayed on screen, I don't know if I would recommend this movie. It's not the one to start out with. No way. (laughs) No chance. I agree. It's, I think movies like this, like, like the lighthouse for example that's a creative movie but if you're just kind of a casual movie goer and you're not in for the bizarre kind of artsy film stuff where you're like i don't know if that's going to be one i go back to a lot but i'm glad i watched it because it showed me something i'd never seen before and i reacted in a way i'd never reacted before i feel like Bo's afraid in a similar vein i wouldn't recommend this to like someone that's just like i want to go just like a, go see a movie this weekend i'm not really actively like a, like a movie buff like i i don't think it, you would like it honestly it i wouldn't recommend really it to, i wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's excited about the new uh guardians of the galaxy movie. yeah yeah this isn't <laughs> the venn diagram isn't exactly bo is afraid in the middle there's there's people that just understand who they are as a, like a movie watcher, and I respect them for that. And this question wasn't like, oh, I'm sophisticated, and I'll tell you how to watch a movie. It's it's literally just your expectations of what you're going to get in a movie. And this just isn't a movie that you just dip your toe in and be like, oh, I'm curious what this is about, because it's going to beat the shit out of you. And you're likely not going to like it. So, And I also don't think that everything A24 does is gold. I'm not For one sure. of those people. I think some artsy movies suck and are just boring and they don't connect. But I think this one has some stuff that's mean like worthwhile checking out. That's, that's also, how I feel about it. It has stuff worth checking out, but I also don't think it delivers in all the ways it thinks it might be delivering. Agreed. I so in any other non spoiler talk you guys want to get into? Can we hop into the the bizarre and the surreal of this movie in depth? Yeah, I guess maybe just we should we should briefly tell people what the movie's about, uh, which is is, is very recap, bro. It's it's very hard to do. Um, I I tell my wife when I come home from horror movies that she would hate. I kind of give her a rundown of what the movie was about, and she can always follow it. And sometimes she can even be like, "Oh, what a great twist!" or whatever. I couldn't even. I didn't know where to start. She's like, "So how was how was the movie? What was it about?" I'm like, "I I don't know." I had, the, I, had the, I had the same problem. Yeah, I didn't even bother trying to explain this to my wife. I was just like, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, in its simplest terms, it's about Bo, an older man, maybe 40 or 50. I think they say he's like 48. Yikes. Okay, a well-aged 48 that he needs to go home and visit his mother. And his mother passes away. And so he needs to go to her funeral and it's his journey to get home and pay his respects and be there for his family. And that, that really is that's, that's, that's crazy. That's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, by the way, the that's Bill, it. Wait, Bill Hader, that phone call, Bill Hader crushing it, bro. That was incredible. Great. 
Um, yeah, and it's as Jake said earlier, it is an odyssey. It's him going on this journey. He meets lots of people along the way. He has kind of obstacles to get through. And it's a man that is crippled by anxiety in all forms. Just and, so worried. I'd say paranoia. Totally. Of that. Uh, so I don't it's really hard to know how to take this movie. <laughs> I, I watching it. You're kind of curious what themes they're going to unpack, what messages they're going to send. And you get in quickly and you're like, okay, this is a deeply disturbed and stunted human. This guy does not know how to exist in his world, which is a very cruel and violent and horrible place. And he doesn't know how to, how to make it work in a great way. So we have that portion anxiety. We also have the child parent relationship, specifically the mother son relationship that he is constantly grappling with. And in the very first scene with his therapist, the therapist says, if you drank from a well that made you sick, and then you expect to go back and drink that same water and not get sick again. Is that a well worth going back to? Right? And then the movie starts. And frankly, that's it. That's the theme. That's that's all the whole movie. That's what we learned going on this whole journey is that, yeah, his home and his mother were fucked up and fucked him up. And the fact that he thought he could go back and never have any closure, well, he was wrong. And that left me as an overall viewing this movie. I was like, man, we did this whole thing and we had that summed up just at the beginning. It was done. Did you guys feel similar? Like, I felt like there was so many things that happened in this movie that I was looking for a meeting and I was like, no, that's, that's it. That was the whole thing. That was it. Absolutely. I, I didn't feel like there was much growth or anything he learned specifically from his journey. Because typically you go on a journey, you learn stuff from your experiences and your travels, or maybe you reflect. But no, I feel like the that's kind of the moral of the story. It's like, like your mother kind of fucked you up, <laughs> and she's going to keep fucking you up if you keep going back to her. So, yeah, and I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it was as – it didn't hit me in the heartstrings as much as I thought it would. What about you, Jake? I'm with you guys. I think if you consider what this movie has to say, it doesn't merit the film's length. Thank you. Brave. Brave soul saying that. Did uh, Bilbo hear that? Did is he have his is it turned up loud enough? <laughs> his ears. Our boy are Bilbo couldn't right couldn't join the podcast, so we're not gonna take shots at our at our boy. Um yeah, it's a long movie and there's a lot in it. And it's one of those situations where I'm watching it and I was like, did I miss something? Like, did, did I miss a line? Did I miss a, a beat? Um, but yeah, the like, length, it just, there's so much, but it's kind of shallow in a way. Like, there's a extremely long animated sequence in this movie. Which I, I loved. Think, I think it's like 45 minutes or something. You thought it was 45 minutes? I think you it's could, long You could tell hell, me it was dude. 30. You could tell me it was 30 and I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's, they, I think it's 30 to 40 minutes, dude. Is long. In the woods, the play in the woods, the animated sequence. Should we dive into spoilers here? Because I oh yeah, we're spoiling. Yeah, spoiler talk is open. Yeah, we're we're doing that. Go nuts! Yeah, yeah. Okay, like that whole story. I feel like it was just setting up just that one joke at the end. Just like (laughs) wah wah wah. Like that's literally Uh, the feeling I had at the end. Oh, I didn't. I didn't interpret it that way, but that was a good setup for that joke. Yeah. (laughs) 
Do you want to share the big fear that uh, Joaquin Phoenix has, Bo has in this movie? That's looming over him and his ancestors and his... Yeah, so the the tale goes that... <laughs> I want to hear you say this out loud. <laughs> that his, his mother told him that his father had a heart murmur and that he died while finishing inside of her. That when he came, his heart stopped and he died. And she tells him that he needs to make sure that he never orgasms because he'll die because he has the same heart murmur. So he lives his whole life in fear of having sex for the day that he'll eventually die. So, well, And the hilarious thing about this movie is, is Bo is constantly just besieged by his deepest fears actually happening. I mean, he actually gets yeah, stabbed times. by a naked serial killer like 20 <laughs> minutes into the movie. And so by the end of this movie, you've seen all these fears just, just manifest themselves to Bo. And, and and actually happened to him that by the end of the movie, when he has sex with, with Parker Posey, I thought he was going to die. <laughs> he thought he was going to die. I thought it was on Dude, the table. That that scene was the funniest scene in the movie for me. Dude, him bagging her, she was fine. Well done, Bo. If you're going to go out, you know. I, I thought Mariah Carey in that movie was bizarre. <laughs> oh, fantastic choice. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. I can't wait. I, thinking about people boning to that song now, like it's always going to, that scene's always going to come back to me whenever I hear that now. It's fantastic. <laughs> so let's, let's back up a little then. Let's go to what you guys kind of consider like your favorite parts of the movie. And tell you, I guess the animated sequence didn't work for you. My, my, favorite, little... my favorite episode of the movie is when he's being taken care of by Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan in the house. That's Roger, my favorite part of the movie. Love that. Yeah. And at that point, this is after he's been hit by a car. Yes. Dragged away to suburbia and recuperating in a family's home. He's an intruder of the daughter that lives in the home. He took they, her room. They have a dead son who died in war. And, and they basically kind of this... have like a shrine to him at, at <laughs> yes. their dinner table. It, it's almost like the mom is praying to him. And yes. Uh-huh. And, and they almost treat him as like a surrogate for the dead son. And it is very weird. And then there's also a psychotic younger sister <laughs> that kind of hates an, him and loves him at the same time. In an expat that lives in an RV in the backyard. <laughs> yes. And uh, this this but whole storyline meets a rather ignominious end. I did not see that coming. Yeah. You just you'll never look at the color blue quite the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack in this movie. And this is the, the, the difficulty with this movie is I watched all these scenes and I was thoroughly entertained the whole time. I enjoyed what I was watching. It's just that, that through line of like, what's the point? It was hard to make sense of everything that was going on. Because really, it was just torturing Bo in every possible way he could be tortured. But also very entertaining. Like you mentioned, I mean, Nathan Lane, the, the guy he's crushed he's with, it. He's feasting. I, every time he's he he addresses Bo and says, "We're gonna get you healed, my brother." I'm just losing it every time he speaks. My man, I, same. Oh, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that as much as me because I saw it by myself and I was just cracking up. And every time he dropped yeah. a, "My brother, my the, dude," 
my expat, man. The expat repeatedly tries to kill Bo, and he just goes, ah, oh, don't worry about him. He doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it, my dude. They're pinning him down and yes. giving him his, yes, his shots sedating to sedate him. him. And there's so, many, there's so many weird things going on in this movie that I can't even tell what I had right and what I was imagining. Was Was the teenage daughter banging the expat who was living there? I couldn't tell if he was giving her drugs or if they were banging because he, he she like knocks on his trailer yeah. door in like the middle of the night and then he gets super defensive of her so i don't know i i was just like it wouldn't be one of the 10 weirdest things that happened in this movie so whatever right i don't know if you're to know either way or or, or if it was just showing that they have a relationship and they're like like maybe that's like her new older brother with her other brother being dead or it is they're hooking up. It was really hard to know. I, I didn't see any evidence to define that though. At least that I remember there was a lot going on. Are we meant to draw some kind of connection between that teenage girl's relationship with her mother and then the, the primary mother's child relationship that, that kind of drives the film in, in Bo and his mom. I mean, it seems like they're almost the opposite relationship where Bose is like, my mom was too protective and too had too much of herself wrapped up in me. Whereas this teenage girl, it's almost like the exact opposite side of the spectrum. I'm going to say sure. <laughs> That's all I can say. It very well could be. I don't feel like anything is, I don't, I think it's completely ambiguous. Anything that we see in the movie is open to interpretation. Even hearing Ari Aster talk about the movie, I think that's what how he wanted it to be. Well, we see zero representation of a healthy parent-child relationship in the movie. The only potential we have is the pregnant woman he meets in the woods, who hasn't even had her child yet, but seems to be a caring and like someone that would be motherly, you know, is somewhat motherly to Bo, and he's never really experienced that before, which is why he gives the figurine to her because he's like, "Wow, this is the first time I've been shown compassion from someone like this in my life," which obviously deeply offends his mother, who of course saw what happened. Uh, I mean, everyone in that the woods were orphans, correct? Like they they had been separated yeah. from their parents. That right? was um, my impression. I, they, I thought they just picked up anyone along the way that wanted to be a part of it. Which I thought was an allegory for orphans, right? That they're all misfits and they found each other in the woods and they work out their trauma on stage with plays every day. <laughs> right? It could be. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It, it is. A, uh, it's it's so a very much confounding storyline just that he, he ends up there. I mean, like he's it really he is present for the suicide of, of this teenage girl and uh, Amy Ryan, Holly from the office, who I think does great in this movie. She chases him out and he runs into the woods and just immediately stumbles upon this. Like you said, it's, it's like a, a traveling theatrical troupe of orphans. And it leads from that into, like I said, it, it might honestly be a full half hour long sequence that is animated and it's almost an allegory for what Bo's life could could have been. Help me out. I guess is that am I on the right track? Yeah, I think it was a path of his life that he could have taken, but it's so bizarre and weird. It's like he was able to live a life that he never ever would live. And somehow it ended up connecting full circle to what was his reality where he had sons, but how could he have sons because he could never finish in a woman without dying? 
And so he's like, wait, this is all made up. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's, can we kind of break down the boat character a little bit? Is this, this a good time for that? You think? Break it down, Tay. Go for it. I, I felt like Bo as a character was very one dimensional. I didn't really know what he wanted, what he didn't want other than being afraid of his mom. Like that's literally like the only character trait I could think of. Like, I didn't know what he wanted out of life. What, like, why was he in the city? Why did he move away in the first place? I feel like all of that information could have been helpful to know and kind of understand his character better. And so I what feel we like know kind of lacking. So what we know about Bo is that he doesn't want to inflict any inconvenience on anyone, right? Like he doesn't want to cause waves. He essentially just wants to be invisible in the world he lives in, right? That's what that's that's how we see him interact with the world anyway. Well, I think it's how he does act. We don't know what he actually wants. Correct, which is the point you're making, which is what does Bo want for his life other than maybe separating from his mom? The only thing we know is that he loved that that friend he made on the cruise ship, Parker yeah, Posey. Yeah, Elaine. Yeah. That's literally like the only sort of trait that we know about him, honestly. We don't know what he's good at, what he's bad at. I don't I know almost, if he works or I not. Feel I don't like know. Bo is not like he's not the thing we're watching. He's the vehicle yeah. we're riding around on as we're watching the world through his eyes almost. It's because so this would so this would make it a movie about the world then, right? So is the world the main character of the movie? Like the the scenes of the movie that Bo goes through, like those should be saying something to us then by that logic, correct? Like I was saying before about Link in Zelda games, it's like he's just a vehicle for you to go through a dungeon or fight a boss or whatever. Bo would just be the character that's taking you to places that you're able to experience something. You're able to experience the world through the eyes of someone like Bo. Because I think we all know people who are just kind of passive, emasculated, doormat type of people who it's it's they don't act in the world the world acts upon them and it's like what does the world look like to someone who's just so impotent as they as they go through life what is how do they perceive threat how do they perceive relationships differently than than some people might have because like I I personally like I thought the mom was was kind of crazy but like I also felt that if she'd had a more assertive take care of yourself type of son just like a native personality of her son that relationship wouldn't have gone off the rails like it did it was the combination of her kind of overbearingness with his um just utter passivity it didn't yeah like Especially with the ending of the movie, I didn't feel like he was completely innocent in that relationship. That it was just her fault for fucking him up. Like I feel like I'm so glad you're saying this because I, I think agree. he was he was they culpable. Didn't see, I didn't see such. Well, she has some egregious faults, right? But not that egregious in the scheme of things. Like I didn't see the evidence of how she was the worst mom of all time. In the flashback, she seemed pretty supportive. Right, she like took him on a cruise, <laughs> talked to him and loved him, and yeah, there's there's parents that hold tight to their children maybe and want to keep them for themselves, which is a flaw, 
but it's not the worst flaw you could have as a parent. Yeah, well, and she plays the role of the devouring mother in his life, but is she really all that devouring? Like, I, I struggled to land on one thing she did in the movie that I was like, no, that is absolutely just beyond the pale. Um, that that alone is enough to fuck a kid up for life. I almost feel like this this spoke to the, I don't know, I guess you'd say more modern tendency of people to kind of over-diagnose the parent-child relationship and talk about it as if it's like, oh, I've just got all this trauma that I need to work through because yeah. my parents did this or my parents said this. And it's like, you mean you had a normal childhood where things didn't go perfectly? And and I don't know, that that was kind of the impression I came away from when the mom goes on her rant about like how selfish Bo is and how much she sacrificed for him. I was I was kind of like... <laughs> You know, he took he took she's his got buddies a point. to her bedroom and had him sniff her panties. Yeah, Bo made some mistakes too. I'm gonna say it. I totally, I totally agree, and I think that's why the movie ended on such a sour note for me. I was like, I didn't think she was as awful as they may have been trying to portray her. So, can you help me know if I'm off base? But was this a Truman Show ending? Was that confirmed? Everyone in Bo's life was kind of an employee of his mom designed to, like, keep him in the life he was in. The therapist was on the payroll. It felt very Truman Show. I actually had that feeling when he – the finale scene in the cave or whatever. Like, Yeah. It felt just like – I don't think it was everyone. I mean, the therapist looked, for sure. But you saw the artwork where he, it's her face. Yes. And then the, and the then snapshot, the it, yeah. it was like Roger, like the the dad and the mom. Yes, and also, I brought this up to Jake after we watched it. There's the title card they show at the beginning of the movie, before the movie even starts, is in some of the artwork in her house. The so, same yeah. title card. The logo, yeah. Yeah, it was like MW or something um, it was in red and white. And so I was like, is this like the video of Bo's life? Is that what they're trying to say here? Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you interpret this movie as as if Bo is really living in a world that is way more dangerous, way more threatening than the world we live in, and everyone else is just acting totally normal about it except him, then the ending of this movie goes completely off the rails. It it just beggars belief that the mom would be able to organize everything she organizes there at the end. Yeah, but if you interpret the movie, I think as I do. As just a representation of what Bo is afraid of, just Bo's deepest fears come to light, well then the ending makes perfect sense because his biggest fear is his mother's control. And so the manifestation of that is your mom doesn't just have control over you, dude. Your fucking therapist is on her payroll. She's got control over everything. Mm. Yeah, and that's where I think if it was clear that Bo is a is a perceived like he in his mind is the victim of this life and he has no way of controlling anything. It's all in his mom. It doesn't it doesn't connect in a way that absolves like that Joaquin like Bo himself has any culpability in this situation, right? Because the movie plays it extremely straight that the mom is the villain in this movie 
and look at all these things that Bo's gone through. There doesn't ever feel like a moment where it's like, yeah, Bo's a big part of this problem or like Bo is the one that's manufactured his problems and his inability to actually grow up or take any kind of proactive part of his life from happening doesn't ever feel to like really connect in the movie itself, at least for me. It just seemed to be like, yeah, parents are fucked up and they screw you up and you know, they, they control your life and they can ruin your life. That's, that's how it felt. And maybe I just mis misread it, but that's what it seemed like. So is, is this where we talk about the 10 foot cock in the attic <laughs> and his twin brother that was chained to the floor? <laughs> I mean, I, I said this in the, the video review I dropped for this on my YouTube channel, but you could give someone a thousand guesses every day for a thousand years. They would never guess what is waiting up in that attic. And they like foreshadow it the whole movie. So you're like, oh shit, what's up there? What's up there? It's a huge cock. Yeah. The yeah. cock and ball monster. Cock and ball monster. <laughs> <laughs> and that's his dad? Is the cock and ball monster? Is his dad, supposedly? That's what she said. Gosh. Like, what is that? I like I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. That's the thing. It's like, is he hallucinating? Is this like that's what I don't understand? It's like, is Bo sick? Is this world just off the rails, or is this all kind of figurative? And he's actually none of this actually happened at all. Like that's like none of these events happened whatsoever. I don't know. Like. And that's where I feel the movie is extremely cynical in what it portrays the world to be. There's not really any hope in the world at all. Everything kind of goes sideways or the people are so corrupt. Or Everything is bad in this world. Everything is a danger. And if you have anxiety, you're always going to find that danger and that danger is going to find you. And if that is the world, if you see the world that way, it sort of justifies Bo's passivity in a way that like, you know, we who live in the normal world watch this movie and, you know, Bo's just kind of comes off like a giant pussy a lot of the time. <laughs> but if it literally the world is as threatening as it is when he walks out the door 20 minutes into his movie trying to get a water bottle, then you're kind of like, yeah, no wonder you're just sitting on your ass not doing anything. You're just trying to fucking make it through. And so... It's almost yeah. an argument for, you know, how are we viewing the world? Are you too much of a pessimist? Are you looking at the world? Maybe you should put on some rose-colored glasses a little bit just to function and just to, you know, propel yourself forward to actually acting in the world, like I said, rather than being acted upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it goes back to, like, the the suburban family. Like, they obviously have some weird shit they're going through and participate in but they do seem to have somewhat normal lives. It was that to show us that there are places in this world that were safe and just anywhere Bo goes, it's going to be unsafe and there's going to be things that are out to get him. Well, even in the animated sequence that's sort of intended to be like an idealized representation of what his life could be, he gets lost and separated from his family for like 40 years because yeah, of how, how threatening the, the world is. And so I, I don't know. I struggle to interpret the uh, the family as, you know, this is this is the sort of goodness that's available. I I, <laughs> yeah, that, I interpret yeah, it yeah. I interpret it more as like, even what appears to be goodness 
is actually going to culminate in a 15-year-old girl killing herself by drinking paint. Drinking paint. <laughs> so, like, does the Holly Hunter's character and the dad, like, who's a surgeon, do you think they actually have normal jobs in that world? And that was what I didn't know. It's like, do they actually function in a normal way? Or is it all just a, a facade to mask this horrible trauma that's coming for all of us? Like you said, with a daughter that drank a bunch of paint and killed herself, you know? Well, like, anywhere you go, it's it's death. It's well, we find out they're horror. on his mom's payroll because they're in that picture in yep. her office. But I guess I wanted to see what you guys think on this question. Typically with movies, I feel like there's something that any – like. 100 people could take something completely different out of the movie, whether it's inspiration or a theme or like, hmm, that's something to think about. Do you think that this is just like an oddly specific kind of message and movie that's going to click with a few people? Or do you think there's universal things that anyone could take out of this movie? Like for a positive benefit, something to learn from? Because I kind of lean on the fact this is an oddly specific kind of narrative here that applies to a very specific type of person and there's not a lot of like if you don't have a horrible relationship with your mom like i don't know like what you're taking out of this i like a movie with nuance where it's showing me some perspectives that maybe i haven't experienced and i could go huh that's how you could live this life or make that choice or experience this thing in this movie, I felt was like a roller coaster in that I was on it, but there was only one way to interpret it. It was going to take me one place the whole time. And I have reflected on this and it, I I'm, I'm struggling to see that through line of like a real message other than people that suffer from anxiety have a very <laughs> difficult life. You know, someone with severe anxiety, that would suck to live a life like Bo does based on that. And that parents have an active role in fucking you up. And that's trauma that's very, very hard to decouple from. That's a pretty bleak message, and I actually don't think there's a lot to gain from that versus his first two movies, which I thought had a much more nuanced understanding in, of what he was trying to say, and at least from what I gained from like watching Midsommar and Hereditary. That's my two cents. What did you think, Jake? I don't think anything has gotten bleaker than the ending of Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> if, if but you, she found community like she if, found a home by burning her boyfriend alive right but she did find something right like yeah, she came yeah. into something like she and came he was an something. asshole he was an asshole <laughs> she he was, was on not the line. she was not winning girlfriend of the year awards in that movie either let's be honest <laughs> he, he's not burned alive asshole but he was kind of an asshole he was break up with him and, and move on you're, you're and florence pew you can find someone better but you can see the debate with what was kind of shown with yeah. both those characters. I don't see that in this movie. Like, where's the debate in this movie about any of this? Yeah. I, we do don't even s- know what to debate about. Do you think Ari Astra's mom has seen this? Dude. <laughs> Dude, how do you not. make this movie? How do you go to dinner, family dinner? So, uh, I saw Bo's afraid. <laughs> so, do you guys have good relationships with your your mother? Oh, yeah. Very loving, yeah. very uncomplicated, which I think is why this movie struck me as a comedy and and not a horror. Like, yeah. I I get anxious routinely in in my life, but it's always very like real grounded, just like overthinking, over planning things that get me anxious. So a movie like Uncut Gems, 
where Adam Sandler's just digging himself a deeper and deeper hole and it's getting more hectic and more chaotic. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm in hell, you know, just watching that, that movie. Yeah. It fucked me up. It, it almost gave me a panic attack. <laughs> and I thought this movie was going to be the same thing, right? I thought I was going to show up to Bo is afraid and it was just going to be three hours of like white knuckling my seat the whole time. But I didn't, it didn't make me anxious at all. It just made me laugh. And I think it's because I don't view the world as a very threatening place like Bo does. And I have a totally normal relationship with my mom. Taylor. Well, we have the same. We have the same mother. Share mother here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I think we have a pretty good. Like I wouldn't say that my mother fucked me up like the way Bo did. Um, if she's listening to this, I thought she did a pretty good job. Um, I actually am a very anxious person. Um, I get nervous in certain situations. I'm the type of person that I have a plan, but if my plan gets messed up, I kind of become paralyzed. And so, like. I could kind of relate to Bo in that respect. I also don't like to inconvenience people. I'd rather just kind of. You've also been late getting to an airport before. Yes, I have been at your place. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of debate here. Like, I don't know what you would debate because basically any opinion you have, I think is valid on this movie. Honestly, like you could defend anything because. It doesn't. It says everything and nothing at the same time. I feel like. Yes, and being a new young parent myself, you have a new appreciation for that relationship of being a parent. Also, thinking about the relationship you have with your own parents, and frankly, you just want to give yourself and your parents a little more grace. It's like you know what they didn't know what they were doing. They did the best they could with the information they had. I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm going to screw my kids up in some way. I don't know what way, but it's going to happen. And I hope later in life they look at me and they go, yeah, that was kind of stupid. I wish you hadn't done it that way, but I get it. Like, you know, this movie, I think, gives zero, (laughs) zero sympathy to people in that that role. And that's where the movie feels kind of like a shortcoming to me, where it didn't give me any kind of balance it just was so extreme and i think that's what takes this movie down for me as far as like a rewatchable movie i think it takes this movie down as like how i'd want to rate this movie while i enjoyed going through the scenes for the most part it's not a thing i want to revisit and i don't feel like there's a message for me to really cling on to from it here the kind of the thing i'm going to take away from this the most was just the experience that the theater jake and me had uh, as, as it ended oh my god because this this movie there's the ending scene and rather than fading to black it just kind of stays and then credits just start rolling on yeah. top of it the scene on the, yeah. on, on the scene so you're like is the movie over is that it and then in our theater it was just people sitting in silence the lights came on no one left and this is after a three-hour movie, mind you. So if there's ever a yes. time where people are going to be inclined to be like, all right, got to piss. Let's do this. No, it was solemn, dude. It was like a funeral or something. It like was It was weird. like, what happened? And then there's just like, uh, like nervous laughter in the theater. I remember Jake said something to the crowd. He was like, well, that was a pleasure watching that with all of you. <laughs> then the crowd just starts laughing. Um, yeah, that was something else. That yeah. was like people. It was like a what the fuck. It I, was, that's that's what it was. I literally didn't know I was going to say that to the crowd until I said it. And I just was overcome by this unbearable need to break the tension. 
I felt it, community with these strangers I, so I. I'd never seen. Yeah, it was very weird. Ben, how was your showing? Um, there was actually quite a few teenagers in the theater with me, or like young, like college age type kids. Jesus, combine uh, this movie with the way that teenagers are already inclined to view their parents. That's quite a cocktail. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know the the young couple I was sitting next to, like a teenager's on a date. They looked over at each other and was like, well, that's a movie, you know, and like didn't know what to do with it. I don't think anybody knows what to do with it when they, the movie ends. So it's a universal feeling of like, okay, what next? I think even professional critics, know. like the week leading up to the movie, the critics started to see it go to screeners and premieres and yeah. stuff like that. And and there were some critics who had like a really viscerally angry reaction and like walked out or like just started screaming at the screen at the end of it. And so when I heard that, I was like, well, we're definitely not in for, for something orthodox here. Do you think it's possible that we're interpreting this this whole cynicism towards parenting all wrong? And that at the end, when Bo is judged guilty and like sinks under the water of his own guilt, that that's actually almost the film passing judgment on him? Like, Do you think it's almost like a shitpost of a movie? Like, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's so ambiguous. Like, does the boat explode? Does he get eaten by a whale? What what happens at the end? He gets like sucked to hell, and the boat flips over, and he dies. Like I he, might have blinked and missed it because I was like, "What happened?" I know he's to- gone. He goes topside, flips over, and he just sinks into the abyss, and that's how the movie ends. And everyone walks out. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, we. I mean, this podcast has almost been a, a good approximation of what our theater was like because we keep saying to each other, like, "Do you think this? Do you think this?" And then it's just followed by two seconds of silence, and then like saying maybe while nervously <laughs> laughing. And I feel like that nervous laughter is really what permeated our whole theater. It was just like, it just a peppering all throughout the theater. P- different people laughing at different things. But but like I said earlier, it's like these laughs are just escaping from people. They can't help it. It's just what they just saw is so shocking or so absurd that I've never been in a crowd that reacted like that to something. Is it just a discomfort that everyone's feeling? And it's like, well, I can either feel horrible or I can giggle about it. That's kind of the the vibe. I think it's when something so out of left field happened that you don't know how to process it. I think that's how I felt anyway. It was like, of all yeah. the things I thought I would feel, this is not what I thought. The tone, I felt the tone was pretty consistent. And that's why I felt like it was a comedy. Because everything felt like a joke at the end of the day. Like you're saying, like it was just stuff happens, it's crazy. But it always seemed to be just kind of funny. And I actually never felt sad at any moment. Yeah. And like you said, I never felt, I honestly, I never even felt anxious. Even the way it was filmed, it was to be very anxious. I was like, all right, let's see what happens next. I just didn't really we just like conditioned hang, to see it. Hanging out with Bo. Like as he's the, not a fun hang. He's a tough. No. Hang. Yeah. Like I was like, I don't like watching Bo on screen. Well, in the performance is him just going, what, what? No, what, what? No. Oh, oh no, no, that's fine. You know, or just being quiet and looking scared like that. He does that know, the entire movie. I didn't know Jerry Seinfeld was playing. It's <laughs> like, so, what? No. Oh, okay. Um, I, I need to my, leave today. My keys were stolen in my house. Uh, I'm, 
okay. It's just both like for three hours. Yeah, three I mean, it's, it's it's a good performance from Joaquin, just because it's like I don't know. I've it's it's just not a, a performance with emotional range. It's like he's just he doesn't have a lot to do there because of the passivity of his character. I uh, I agree. He's he's a tough hang. All right, out of five stars, what's the rating, Taylor? Oh gosh, um, I'm probably giving it three and a half. Jake, I'll give it a solid four just because of the craftsmanship. I mean, it, it's something we haven't even talked about, but like this movie is so meticulously made. It's so weird to find a movie that feels both meandering and meticulous that it's like a really well-made fever dream. And I don't know. I I thought it was definitely Astor's weakest movie. It was definitely his movie I'm least excited about the prospect of revisiting. But I'm glad it was made and I'm glad I saw it and I think there's a lot to recommend about it. So, I'll go with I'll go with 4 stars. I'm going to ditto both of you and give it a 3 and a half stars. And I think the production value is like top notch. I like, like I said earlier, I felt that every scene was very dense. There was such detail put into how he shot everything, all of the props, the set pieces, everything felt very, very well done. And to that, I tip my hat. Uh, but the message just not being cohesive enough, even for something that's supposed to be surreal and kind of absurd, I just don't think it's there. And I don't think it's going to be there. Maybe I'm wrong, and I will come back on this podcast in two years and tell you, you know what? Bo is afraid. A five-star movie. Changed my life. Thinking about it. Changed my life. You know what? Anxiety is a thing. Yes, my parents did fuck me up. Uh, But I don't think I'm going to get there. I really don't. It's a well-made movie. I'm big on story and kind of overall theme from takeaway because I, I feel like movies in general can be really inspiring or thought provoking. And I think that's why I dinged it in my rating, but no, no complaints with the craftsmanship. I mean, there's a thousands of Easter eggs in this movie, like in the yeah. background and you could watch it, you know, someone on YouTube's going to record all of them, but it's out of this world. I mean, just the graffiti alone is so detailed. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. yeah in the apartment headline movie. please keep making movies like this that are original pushing boundaries taking chances fantastic i love it it's better than guardians of the galaxy 3 um i'm all for it it's just i don't think this has the staying like cultural presence that his other movies have had to date which is fine you know it's kind of like babylon with damien chazelle it's like that had a lot of great things about it but maybe it's not going to last like La La Land or Whiplash will, which is okay. And, and just a, just a note to the auteurs, like, can we make the movies a little shorter? Yeah, why like, are they all doing this now? Do we have do we have to make a hundred and eighty minute epics? Can we just do like a hour forty five? Can we can we get back to that? Yo, did you hear about the new Leo movie, the Flyer Moon movie? It's it's like three hours and twenty minutes or something, right? Yeah, something crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah insanity. Cl- Let's let's get these movies shorter, people. I think people are fed up with the three-hour movie. Let's 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 bring it down. I think See, that era is over. To bring it full circle, that's one of the things the Evil Dead Rise had going for it. It was it was a bloody time. It was a good time. It was a short time. That's all we need. Literally half the length of this movie. <laughs> like I'm cool with a long movie for the most part. Like you want to go two hours plus, okay? 
But seriously, for a theater watch, and you're going to go three and a half hours? Like, you're going to have to piss you, at some point. You, you have gotta, to, you're going to miss part of the movie. you got to earn that runtime, in my opinion. It's got to be well executed, well worth it, no filler. Are they going to start doing intermissions, you think? No. Will they ever? No. No way. It feels respectful to do an intermission <laughs> if you have a three and a half hour long movie. It's like you got Apparently old King people there. You've got incontinence. Yes. Like there, there are medical issues <laughs> that people are going to have. There was articles for If you remember for Avengers Endgame, they had articles come out ahead of time. Like this is the scene you go to the bathroom because it's like not important or whatever. You just have to start watching movies like that. My boy James Cameron said you can go to the bathroom anytime during Avatar 2. Cause yeah, because it doesn't matter. No, because you, you can just go see it again to see the part you missed. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Great answer. Our buddy, we got to tell this story, Taylor. Went and saw John Wick 4 with our boy, David. Dude's a gun nut. He'd been talking nonstop about this custom limited edition gun, the Pit Viper, and how it was John Wick's handgun. He was so thrilled about by it. An, by an actual gun manufacturer. An actual, a real life gun that would be featured in the movie. He's talking about it nonstop. John Wick 4 was a long ass movie. It's almost three hours, right? He decides to go to the bathroom at a moment. Walks out. The second he walks out, it's when they do the gun porn shot of John Wick getting the Pit Viper in the movie. <laughs> like, gets the full rundown. They talk about it. They flash it. Doing the whole it's scene. It's like two minutes. Yeah, it's like this very succinct minute and a half. And my boy's gone for literally the one minute and a half that gun shows up. <laughs> he was devastated. Just devastated. He did. I went and saw it with him again, and uh, he saw it on the rewatch. So good for him. He good. got it. I'm glad he saw it. I felt bad yeah. for him. I was I was literally just so sad. But yeah, but like these new movies are so long. Sometimes I like to just go back to the 80s and watch a 90 minute tight movie, and just like, why can't we get back to this? Why can't we get to just these tight movies? Leave me wanting more. I don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel like oh man, I wish that was a little longer. I haven't felt like that in in years. Uh, cyclical man it'll whip back long movies and it'll get short you know you know how it goes guys anything else on Bo is Afraid I guess what the what the F scenes what do you got Jake what we should mention that a friend of the pod Bill Mo gave this five stars I believe he called it a perfect movie or something close to that and so he called it a five star but not perfect Okay, so there is a there is a range of opinions here. I, apparently, you know, this is a film that's going to really resonate with some people. I've definitely heard a lot of Bill Mo's film opinions. I I respect, and so I at least wanted to to put that out there. We've heard a lot of film opinions we don't respect, so this might just be added to the pile. Yeah, Bill Mo, I'm throwing down the gauntlet again. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's entitled to his opinion. Five stars. It's just, I don't, I don't see it that way. And maybe I will one day. I don't think this one's going to be one we, we talk about in the history books. I don't think it's going to be one, you know, I don't think this is, if Ari Aster's movies, I think this is three of the three that he's made. I think it's the bottom. What do you think this does to what Aster does going forward? What he's allowed to do going forward? I think he's going to have to do a more conventional movie on his next one not like complete like studio system movie but like i don't think he's getting another passion project like this because i need to check the box office but i'm sure this movie did not justify its 40 million dollar budget as far as box office 
Yeah, it was a pretty small haul so far. Um, I I agree with Taylor. I think he's still an exciting director. I think studios are going to see the merit of what he's capable of, but they're probably going to want a more streamlined type movie for the next one. That'd be my guess. And I know he's had this one was probably one of the, from what I could tell was like one of the first movies he came up with, like he really wanted to make, but obviously it was not going to be that accessible movie to start your career with. So it was like, yeah, we're going to knock out a couple couple singles i mean i mean he had triples and home runs i think with his first two movies honestly but this one was when he got to go back to so i hope he goes back to pure horror because i think that's where he's outmatched his competition the the most clearly i mean some of the stuff he did in hereditary near the end of that movie i was just like god damn I don't, I don't really get scared by these movies, but am I going to sleep tonight? Like Tony Collette banging her fucking head on the, on the attic door. Yeah. That was crazy shit. But like, how, reaction. How do you feel about the kind of like, it seems like there's been a little bit of a backlash towards the term elevated horror recently. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you feel about kind of like the artsy horror? Like, are you kind of wanting to get more into like conventional horror? I guess like, pure horror like the classic or are you cool because i could say hereditary is kind of i don't know it's a slow burn you know what do you think me or ben i'm gonna let jake answer all right i, I need you to go first you're the horror expert here i'm gonna let you so weigh I, in. i i honestly might say that the four best horror movies of the 21st century or the the last 10 years we'll say the last 10 years might be hereditary midsummer the witch and the babadook i think those movies are fantastic and they're all kind of the poster children for this this brand of elevated horror so i think it has it it almost raises the genre's potential in a way it raises it's a, it raises the ceiling but i do think it also raises the floor or it lowers the floor to to a point where a movie can become totally incomprehensible and that just gives a director a venue to sniff his own farts for two hours or three hours, <laughs> as the case may be. And I, I don't feel that way about Bo is Afraid, but I definitely feel it was leaning in that direction compared to the, his first two films. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's something about just having a little tighter execution of the film that I think would have helped it for me. It just it meanders, and I know that's part of the charm is like how long it takes Bo to get to where he gets. But I think it could have been just a little more streamlined. I, I had a question with oh, go ahead, Taylor. I, th- I just think there's this fine line between you know giving the conventional horror fan who wants to have a good time with the movies what they're looking for, but also being a little more sophisticated than your run of the mill slasher. It's a really fine line where you can go too far in I think either direction. I think what we've and learned her- is we want a movie that makes us ask, what does the cheese grater symbolize? <laughs> yes. What was the cheese grater? <laughs> you had a question, Ben? Or you were going to say something? Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm, I'm comping this from uh, Twitter. So I saw someone put up Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, and Jordan Peele's first three theatrical releases. So with Robert Eggers, it would be The Witch, uh, The Lighthouse, and the Northman is his first three movies. And then with Jordan Poole, it would be Get Out, Us, Nope. And then with Ari Aster, we have Hereditary, Midsommar, and now Bo is Afraid. Of those directors, how would you rate rank them? 
And I found this actually a little more difficult than I thought. Peel, would peel last. Really? Okay. I, I put don't... Peel second. Okay. I think. I think Aster's first for me of those three movies. I think I, I would go Aster, Pool, and then Eggers. I, I think I'm going Aster as well, just because I think the lighthouse is weaker than Bo is afraid. As yeah. I, I thought, and and Midsummer and Hereditary are, are really uh, that's a serious one-two punch. That's like Trout and Otani on the Angels, you know. But yeah, I I love the witch. Taylor, I think I'm going Peel, Aster, Eggers. Wow, you put a lot of stock in in Peel, and I'm guessing it get out in Nope. Well, the, I d- the headers. I feel like he's been the most consistent of the three, because I feel like Bo is afraid is such like a departure from the movies before it, whereas like I feel like all three of Peel's movies are pretty good and pretty solid, mm. like like solid movies, like all three of them, and like I had a good time watching all three. And then I love Northman, but Lighthouse and the Witch aren't like top for me. So that's Northman. That's my ranking. Are we sure us is good? No, I don't think we are. And that's what kept Pool from being number one for me. And I actually think Get Out isn't. I think it's really, really good on a first watch, and on a second watch, it's less effective. Wait, so do you think Nope is his best? Oh, I love Nope. Yeah, Nope's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, I think Nope ended up being my favorite movie of last year. Holy shit. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I rewatched it, and it held up to me. That first watch, though, I loved it. And the second, I was like, yeah, this this shit's legit. Um, it's kind of like what I want. I want like strong, I want strong performances. I want intrigue. I just like the way he shoots things, and, he, and the way he incorporates humor into his movies feels organic to me and not like very forced. And when jokes feel kind of forced, and I think Bo is afraid had a few jokes that I felt were kind of forced that I was like, you know, it's stuff like that that doesn't work. And Edgar's stuff, like The Lighthouse, like that's a movie that it's not, I don't know who it's for when I watch it. Like, I, I'm glad I watched it, but I don't know I ever would want to watch it again. It's for eighty-year-old New England fishermen, dude. That's who it's. Yeah, for. and the Northman was just badass. Like that movie's sick. I love um, the Northman. Yeah, which I need to rewatch that one. Taylor, you're excluding guys with a mermaid fetish from the intended <laughs> yeah. audience of <laughs> the lighthouse. Bone a mermaid or bone a lighthouse. See, you I was know. I was hoping that your... we'd be able to end this discussion on a on an agreement that Aster and and Eggers are kind of like one A one B, kind of like a Jordan Lebron mm-hmm. thing. But it sounds like you guys have a higher uh, opinion of of Jordan Peele's movies than I do. I think so. Eggers is just not... I don't know if I connect with his style as much. I want to. I try to. I don't know if it hits home for me as it does for other people. And Peele's stuff I think I've liked more. But Aster, I think, is my one of this group. Who would you guess from this group is going to have the most prolific career? Is Aster going to be the next Kubrick, as Bilmo said? No. <laughs> oh, shit. 
That's a big. That's huge shoes to fill if you're gonna be Kubrick, dude. That's not like light. You can't just do that. That's not easy. Dude, Kubrick. Yeah. Kubrick made Doctor Strangelove, eyes wide shut. I mean, there's four decades spanning those, and he he faked the moon landing. Yeah, we don't need to get into. That. <laughs> that's a. I'm just kidding. Vibe. I don't actually believe that. I've heard some stories of the meticulous nature of Kubrick's per, like planning for these movies and shots and. It sounds completely insane and unhinged. Like, I think he's a one of one. Like, I don't know if you can make a comp that's fair. I feel like Peel's probably set up to be able to work the longest, just the way that, I mean, one, his movies make money. So, yeah, crucial. So, I mean, Aster, I mean, Hereditary and Midsommar were hits, but I mean, Lighthouse didn't really make any money. Northman was kind of a. that kind one of, didn't make any money either. Yeah, kind of a bomb. So, I mean, I predict Peel's probably got the best chance of sticking around the longest, if I had to guess. I mean, Kubrick's movies have cultural impact, like in a significant level, mm-hmm. that that Astor's movies are very beloved to the community that watches movies, but they're not mainstream movies. I mean, Get Out was a cultural phenomenon. Exactly, yeah. Get Out, like, changed, you know, like... That's a movie people remember. It almost going to talk about. It, it kind of goes back to our conversation that we were having about Shyamalan, where it's like when you get too deep into I don't know film Twitter or like you put too much stock in your Letterboxd account or listen to film podcasts, you kind of forget like no one's your your normie American is not going to go see a movie because they know that Robert Eggers or Ari Aster directed it. Whereas someone like Shyamalan, someone like Jordan Peele, what he did with get out that transcended into, into popular culture in a way that the Eggers and Aster's movies have not, and probably cannot because of just the nature of those films. I I don't think have mass appeal. It's unrealistic to think that they could, Midsommar could ever be like a mainstream movie like it's not a mainstream movie for a reason and if everyone was watching Midsommar it'd be would it would it devalue it in a way you know like it means something to a lot of people because it's kind of like holy shit like I saw something that probably you know my normal coworker is never gonna watch and if they did you'd just want to be in the room with them and see their reaction because it's so crazy it's so I don't know it's it's really hard to say with these things and and everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to like what they connect with. Some people don't want to get on a level where like trying to figure out the symbolism of what the cheese grater means in a movie. Uh, <laughs> some people just want to see A to B, whatever. And that's cool. Um, so yeah, just like what you like and enjoy it. You know, keep watching those movies you like. Taylor, keep going to Avatar all you want. I know I shit on you, but I actually really do support you. You don't, but it's fine. I do. I mean, I do. I'm not I'm a gonna, hypocrite. I I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to find a podcasting partner for after I watch Fast X like four times over a weekend. I'll go with um, you to one showing of it. Will you? Yeah, I'll go to one. I'm holding you to that, Jake. I'll go. Jake, I, so guy. here's here's my thing: is dragging you along. Can dude. can I watch Fast X without having seen any of the previous nine films in the? Franchise? Yes, you have to. That's Abs- your absolutely. You're required to not Wait, watch. You've any never seen a Fast. Not all the way through. Maybe. I've I've seen a few. I think I I got like two thirds of the way into one at a, a high school party. Whichever one came out around 2008, 2009, I would have seen. Too fast, it. too furious. No Something man, like each that. each movie is its own arc. 
there's overarching arcs that kind of go through the entire <laughs> franchise, but it's each, a soap opera. each movie is like an independent adventure. So well, you definitely look, I'm ready to expand my horizons. All right, we're going, we're going, let's do this. This will be fun. Popcorn on Taylor. Yes. Popcorn on me. How long is this next one going to be Taylor? Let me look. You guys talk while I'm looking this up. No, I'm, I, I last one I saw was fast. When does Charlie's Theron show up, Taylor? Is that Fast 8 or Fast 7? I think it's 7. That's um, the last one I saw. Yeah. Uh, they got to fucking fast, standardize the titles of these movies, man. Fa- Every fast. one of them takes a different <laughs> format <laughs> with the Fast. Yeah. It's evolving, dude. It's uh, So the runtime is 2 hours and 21 minutes. All right. All right. Sure, Taylor. I'm in. Let's do it. Guys, oh, anything yeah. else on Bo's Afraid? Um... I'd, if you're if you're not dying to see this and you haven't seen it yet, I'd probably wait for this to pop up on a streamer somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I I do wonder though, seeing it alone, like it's already alienating enough in theaters when you can't pause it and you can't check your phone. I feel like watching this at home, it would have taken me like six hours to finish it. Hmm. You would have paused, you think? You I would have broken it up? I would have been distracted. I would have been like, all right, let's get a snack. Let's see how the angels are doing. Let's Anything to just kind of give myself a little break here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to rewatch this movie? We'll say within the next two years. Uh, uh like a two within the next one? two years i'm not i'm not rewatching yeah. it in the next two years i'm i might go back to it i don't know a decade from now i can't yeah there's no foreseeable future that i would turn this one back on it's a lot of so many other movies this movie's it's a lot. bizarre because you're kind of recommending watching it but none of us want to touch it with a 10 foot pole after we've watched it <laughs> again <laughs> I liked watching it the first time. But you never want to touch that shit again. There's that's movies the... like that, though. That's okay. I think that's okay. Yeah. It's like homework. It's like I never want to watch like a movie like uh, Schindler's List again. Yeah, I never I, want to watch I, that movie I again. I imagine that's not a rewatchable. <laughs> You're like, no. like It's a great movie. You appreciate it, but you never want to touch it again. You're like, nah. For whatever reason, this is the same way. If it's on cable, you're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving on. I'm I'm flipping the channels, man. This movie's not gonna be on cable. <laughs> you just flipping channel. Watching... All of a sudden, there's a ten foot dick. <laughs> yeah, just giant ass. Man, this, this podcast has been unhinged, man. And it's silly. Is that we didn't even talk about half the crazy shit in this movie? Like there was so many bizarre things in this movie. That we Dude, I don't think anyone's to. even listening at this point. If they no. did turn it on, there's no way they've made it to the end. No. No, this is the least coherent podcast we've ever done, probably. <laughs> oh, well. it was For me, it was cathartic because I've had all these like weird thoughts and I've just been like, what did I think of this movie? I didn't know what to say. And so I'm glad I got to hash it out with you guys. It makes me feel better that I wasn't like stupid because I felt kind of stupid leaving the movie. I was like, did I miss something? But it's like you guys had the same reaction overall. Well, we might all just be stupid. Bilmo made me feel stupid with the five-star review. So I was like, <laughs> what did I miss? I missed something. Did he see part of the movie I didn't? You know, I, don't know. I think we can, we can tell you this. You might love this movie. You might hate this movie. But the one thing that's guaranteed is that you're going to feel a deep need to record a meandering two-hour podcast about it afterward. And, Hell yeah, uh, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this together. It, it was cathartic. 
Well, let's wrap it up then. Taylor, any closing parting thoughts for us? No. Any other things you want to plug? Plug? I have nothing to plug. We'll be back. We're not going to take two months off again. We'll get some more steady content. We're coming in the summer. There's stuff to watch. We should do a succession pod, I think. I think that would be fun. Yeah, man. Best show on TV. Yeah. Let's let's do it, man. That's that's all I got. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate all twenty of you that listen to this. Yeah, t- send us your uh, your star review of Bo was Afraid if you watched the movie. We'd love to know what where you landed with it. Yeah, man, we're all on Letterboxd, or I don't know if Ben is yet. But I am. What's your handle I, called? I don't know. Mine's Taken Lover. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'll. I'll uh... I'll send you my link to my letterbox. Maybe I'll write a review for this movie on there. Who knows? Yeah, man. Start get start, weird with it. Start logging, dude. Start I need logging. to be better at that. It's just hard because like there's so many movies I watched before I had letterbox. I don't want to go back and log all of it, dude. It's work. It's yeah, just work. do the ones you watch now. Yeah, and I should say I just barely dropped a uh, a review for Bo is Afraid on my YouTube channel at Sergeant Darwin on YouTube. So if you're someone who's dedicated enough to still be listening to this podcast an hour and forty seven minutes in, you are the kind of person I want as a subscriber. Well, uh, we'll send the link to his YouTube page in the in the description for the episode. So <laughs> there you go. Hell gotcha. yeah! Hell I'm gonna yeah. drive some some traffic to that site. All four people. All right, everyone that listened, thank you so much. Hope you guys all have a safe, great weekend, and we'll talk more later. Peace out, everybody.